you're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Monday, and in these episodes, you'll hear Sangram interview incredible practitioners, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs within our community. And like Sangram always says, without a community, you are simply a commodity. Here we go. Sangram here. So good to see you all. 90 Wednesday. We're doing Monday and Wednesday. As you all know, Monday is you can pitch me your business, your idea. And Wednesday, I get to have a conversation with someone who I admire. And I've been just watching them from afar. I see what they're doing and feel like, man, there's so much to learn from them for me. So it's a very selfish thing I do, quite honestly. But also let everybody just jump in. So as you join in, just let me know where you're from, um, you know, what's uh, what's going on, because we are having people from all over the world. And just so you know, today, we're going to be interviewing Kelly Ford. Um, she is a CMO turned venture capitalist. Uh, I have known, for, known of her and have seen her work for about at least five years now, because uh, in full disclosure, Edison is an investor in Terminus. And it's been really fun to get a CMO lens. So we're going to talk about what it means to to invest in a in an organization. We're going to talk about what it takes to be a CMO before pandemic. We're going to talk about what uh, what kind of things that you should be looking out for. And so, with that, I'm gonna play a song that I picked for Kelly. So, so don't judge her on that. You can judge me on that. But this is what my daughter sometimes would be singing, which is "This Girl Is on Fire." Is this your song or not? <laughs> I I don't know. I don't think I have a song, but thank you. <laughs> all right, all right, Kelly. How are you? I'm great. Good morning. Good morning. Me. So good to so good to see you. We got some folks coming in as well online, like uh, Natalia's uh, on LinkedIn, and this is fun. We, it goes on Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, and YouTube. So as people jump in, you get to see some of their interactions and conversations. And if you have questions, folks, uh, just jump in and I will just pull that in. So, Kelly, you're the general partner at Edison, a board member for several organizations. I was just looking at your LinkedIn. Oh, my God, you're like on the board of now five or six. I don't know how you do it. So, so maybe you can tell me which, uh, what, what's your experience like as an ongoing board member for so many different organizations. You're a CMO at Life Person and have been in leadership roles in marketing for so many different organizations. Well, love love to share more uh, for you to share a little bit more about yourself, and we'll jump into questions. Sure, that's great. Thanks. So, I've been at Edison six years, and have um, you know probably if you look back ten years ago, and what the standard set of credentials for becoming an investor would be, you know, I'm I was probably from the wrong side of the tracks in terms of my profile. You know, I went. I went to a big 10 state school. I didn't get an MBA. I never even took a finance class in college, frankly. And I spent 20 years inside tech companies and go to market roles. So, you know, this was a real opportunity for me to join Edison as a firm. Uh, we value sort of the operating background and experience. And, um, you know, back six years ago, I was kind of an experiment. Uh, the first recovering operator, or not quite yet a recovering operator profile. and I joined to, you know, help the firm think about and help us launch a 
operating platform and a value add platform for the firm and um, did that for a few years, started getting pulled over to the investing side um, and had, you know, this great hybrid role. And we as a firm uh, have a very much an integrated approach to investing with kind of investor background ex- expertise and operating expertise. So that's really come to evolve in a, you know, in a great way and has created a lot of opportunity for me um, as an investor in enterprise software and and now in fintech as well. So yeah, so that's, you know, that's a little bit about my background, I guess, how I got here. And certainly we met you guys five years ago when things were really early. Oh and, my God. Uh, and yeah. it's, it's been an incredible, incredible journey. And, uh, you know, we're, we're pleased to to still be uh, on that ride with you, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So again, full disclosures, people are joining in uh, is Edison is an, a multiple time investor um, in, in Terminus uh, through our series A, series B and the early stage. Um, but also like Kelly has been there from day one. Kelly, at that time when you invest, you, when you guys invested in Terminus, because one of, one of the questions, and this is from Nicholas, Nicholas is um, in a peak community that uh, I just, recently started around getting marketers become one person better. And Nicholas asked this question and I'm like, oh gosh, that's such a good question. He said, um, he asked like, well, what do you look for when you invest in a company? And you feel free to use uh, you determine know, as an example because, oh God, I think we were so all over the place. Uh, if you really want to go back and think about it. I think, you know, well, we as a firm, I mean, every firm and, and, you know, there's, I think when I was an operator, I maybe didn't appreciate that all of my investors had similar or different investment strategies, right? VCs, private equity. Um, you know, we're a growth equity firm. We invest in, you know, high growth, mainly recurring revenue companies, as companies um, that have been capital efficient uh, in sectors we really like. We're healthcare tech, fintech, and in enterprise software. Um, and we have a scorecard around growth and around capital efficiency and around team dynamics and uh, leadership. So, um, you know, so so our scorecard is pretty specific and we always look through that lens. Um, I think, you know, with Terminus, it was really interesting because I was your customer. Right. Like, like I had been at the firm not long when when we started to get to know you guys. And, you know, I was an account based marketing leader and for many years doing it in painful ways, you know, ma- painful manual. Um, you know, there was a lot of latency on how you if if you, you know, were doing it right. <laughs> like, how did you know how you were doing um, and, but we, you know, maybe I, I felt like the organizations I was in were a little bit ahead of our time, but the tech was catching up. Right. So, yeah. um, so it was, it was really thrilling to see the vision for a platform that was making all the promises to, you know, streamline and, um, you know, just kind of do all the things that we were doing, but in yeah. a very manual, opaque way, or wanted to be doing. Um, so, so for you know, f- for the team here and for 
for me, it was like, oh my God, this is sol- this is a real opportunity, but it's solving a huge problem. And and the notion of creating a, a movement and what that meant, I mean, that was exciting, but that wasn't, you know, why we invested in, I'm not sure we really appreciated how many people just hadn't really gotten the ABM thing oh. yet, right? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so, you know, you guys had the growth, the team, the, um, you know, the product was in good shape, but obviously with a lot of opportunity to kind of build that out and, you know, growth stage companies, your, our capital always goes to some level, you know, you've got product market fit and now you're ready to scale. So you're diversifying your product, your channels, your markets. Um, and you guys, you know, you guys were in that spot, um, probably on the earlier end of early for us. Yeah. Yeah. I I think, I don't know if you even hit a million in revenue at that time. I I mean, it was definitely the earlier end of early. I mean, our, our our sweet spots really kind of the, you know, eight to 10 million at the time of investment, you know, type stage. Um, but for spaces, we really like teams. We really like, you know making it an exception and having a view of how fast can this go with our capital? How can we help? And, um, you know, quickly get you looking like a true yeah. growth oh, stage God. company, which, you know, you guys blew the, blew the wheels off, um, you know, again and again along the way. So. Now that was, that was fun. Um, and we got Robert uh, joining in over. Good morning, man. Uh, we got Mohammed and it's like we have people from all over the world coming in. So Mohammed from, from Dubai, um, Anu, uh, she is uh, she 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 is someone who is actually starting a company in October. So this might be a lot of interesting conversation for her. Uh, so feel free to ask questions over here because I know Kelly will give you straight uh, whatever the, the thoughts or questions are. Um, yeah, we got uh, Heming from UAE. Uh, so we got like lots of lots of different folks. Um, Christine, uh, early stage investor investment works when the right team, the right vision the right served market. And, and that's a really interesting point because I keep telling this to, to now, like now that I've, I feel like I'm a veteran, like now that it has been like five years of Terminus, it just feels crazy to think about it. But I still wonder and tell when somebody who's like, hey, I'm starting the company, what should I do? How do you guys go about it? And I still go back to them with this idea that validate the problem first in the marketplace and and fall in love with the problem, not the product. Yeah. Because your product is going to change you all. As you said, our product, we had a vision, but our product has like, you know, changed so much. And since TK has been on board too, like we have like acquired another, like now we're like three companies acquired within the last five years. So it's like all the things, but if we had been in love with just our product, not the problem that we solve, as you said, ABM became a thing and it's still getting adopted. It's still getting for the first time Forrester is now recognizing and putting all those things in. Uh, I keep telling that, hey, did you validate the problem? And to us, the way we validated was through community and building a massive community that said, oh yeah, that is the problem. So there wasn't a denying that this is a problem. So I wonder if, um, you know, to, to just think of, Thing along the lines Christine is talking about is that did you see that we had did we have the right team and be honest about that um, do you feel like we had the right vision or at least the intention to that uh, but maybe more importantly double down on like how did you figure out that we had a market to serve yeah the more I mean 
you know, there's market product and execution risk, right? Or and we talk a lot here about um, my partner, Chris Clark, loves, you know, using the same words with the first, you know, what, what is it called? The first market model momentum, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which is, it kind of goes in line with, you know, with market product and execution. Um, the market, like we're, we're, we're not taking market risk you know, COVID's a great example. Like, yeah, some companies were hit harder than others, but we don't, we don't play, we didn't play in the markets that were hit hardest, right? So, um, so there has to be a billion dollar market or more there, you know, there's, that's usually relatively easy to validate. Um, I think the market problem in the value proposition was even e- easier to validate because I, I, because of you, know, you were the, the, yeah, you were the customer of, and, and you felt the pain. So you understood that. Yeah. And, and you can tell, I mean, we do like when the product appears to be almost more mature than the company, but, yeah. but it hasn't been technology for technology's sake. It's and product and tech is not a strategy. It's, it's the enabler of the opportunity in the market. Right. And then yeah. everything else is just around momentum and, and execution risk, and and that's where our capital goes is you know is 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 execution. Um, so you know we're not we're not typically the companies we're investing in are not spending fifty percent of their opex on product anymore, right? Yeah. Um, it's it's primarily sales and marketing. So and then you know you want to you want to see a team which goes hand in hand with the momentum and the execution risk that has seen the movie before, um, who's well suited to the stage and to the, you know, to the opportunity that, that you see. So, um, and we can kind of look at it and this is the benefit I think of having kind of the operators working with the investors. You know, we can really look at this too, because having worked in companies at this stage and, you know, know what the right patterns are, being able to, you know, if this, then that. Yeah. Understanding the go-to-market models. Like there's there's only so many models, business models and go-to-market models, right? Um, so if you've got market, you've got a good team, there's alignment on, the if this then that the yeah. kind of the playbook to get there, um, and yeah, sometimes you have to bring the right people aboard who, who um, you know, can fill gaps in that regard. But um, but that's really kind of what you're looking at at, yeah. the, at the growth stage versus venture and very early stage, like the gal you mentioned is you know starting your company. Yeah, you got to focus on the problem in the market improving product market fit by the time our capital goes in that product market fits proven yeah it's proven and we and, and we were probably the anomaly that that you had in the early stage because you just looked at the problem and said oh my god somebody better do this and you almost i believe that if it wasn't i think that you had a big part to play in in our early stage investment because you as you said you were a part of the uh, the thing that fell you, you had metrics though your metrics your metrics told a early product market fit story for sure yeah 
Got it. So one of the things you and I talked about, and when I ask people, hey, what do we want to talk about in this scenario? Because we have CMOs, we have other folks, but I really never had an investor perspective. And again, you have been, and you are currently on several boards. Love to hear what was your playbook that you recommended to marketers and CMOs before pandemic. <laughs> and I'm curious if it has changed and if so, how. So, so maybe we just go back like, all right, here's, here's what you told. Like, you got to do X, Y, and Z. If there was a three or four things, what was that in the early, uh, for people before pandemic? Yeah, I mean, this gets back to, you know, our capital going into these companies who have product market fit, they're ready to scale, they're diversifying their products, markets and channels, they're, you know, and and we're all about, you know, invest in revenue marketing, generate and accelerate interest in in your business, in your product, and in, in product marketing, what is sold and how, right? So like, those were the absolute priorities. And even revenue marketing, usually a little a little more than product marketing. And certainly from a dollar's perspective, that's where you were putting it. But in the, you know, in recent months with, you know, shifts and budgets and austerity plans and, you know, just trying to shore things up, the shift moved to the existing customer base. It was all about preserving revenue. Now, the good news is in keeping your customers and maybe growing your customers for for healthier in, in, you know, for companies that are serving healthier sectors, sectors that weren't as hard as hit, right? So the preserve your revenue, keep your customers. The good news is if the investment was made in revenue marketing that happened to be pointing at filling the funnel or accelerating the pipelines, all of that muscle can be pointed at customer marketing, right? And can be pointed at, the air cover that's needed, the orchestration that's needed with sales to, you know, make your customers feel good to, to solution with them and, you know, um, have some flexibility on contracts, or maybe they were in, you know, you were offering them this great deal to add this other component, a module on or product and whoa, slow, you know, slow the roll. But okay, well, let's just make sure they're really happy because you know that'll come in two quarters if it's not now, right? So, and what can you do to the air cover of it all to just make customers feel like they continue to have made a great decision to stay with you? And so that, you know, preserve revenue, keep your customer. And if you can grow your customer and there have been, there are situations and companies in our portfolio where, you know, selling into the base is a very real thing during the pandemic. And, but I think, you know, regardless of how companies have shifted gears and objectives might have changed and where you're pointing your team, I think what's been really critical is balancing meaning with the return. And, mm-hmm. you know, meaning is, is about people. It's about deeper human connections and, you know, people create the meeting. And as a marketer, you're marrying that, you know, with the right format and the right topics and the right timing, like everything needed to have and still needs to have currency. Right. And, and, you know, with budget cuts, people create the meaning. It doesn't have to cost you a lot. 
It actually doesn't cost you a lot, right? It doesn't. I mean, you're living in it with your, you know, Mondays and Wednesdays. I mean, we have, we've witnessed and even ourselves, we've done the same thing here at the firm, you know, creating deeper human engagement, uh, more intimate, empathetic engagement, you know, shop talks and small peer groups and not for, you know, not always broadcasted, right? Like just for the, just for the people, like just to, it's cathartic. People are learning. What are you doing right now? What do you, I mean, that has been an incredible, incredibly valuable, incredible learning experience, incredible from a brand perspective, even though that's not the primary objective. And I think those, creating those types of environments and this type of content and those types of conversations has a place when we're on the other side of this, it's just a matter of the spirit of it. If, if we can make that stick, I think that's very powerful. Yeah. Um, it's just a question of scale, right? Like if you're all hands on deck doing roundtables and shop talks and video interviews and, and creating all this great, you know, content, just using people and ideas and, you know, leveraging the brains and smarts of folks around you and, 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 building connections in new ways, you can keep doing that, but you're also going to go back to doing all those other things. Yeah. And it's just a question of budget and time. So to the extent, all the goodness around these deeper human connections and the meaning of your marketing can be bottled yeah. <laughs> and, and thought about in a way like, okay, well, how do we scale this? You know, post pandemic, I, th- I, I think that's, it's that's been a great thing to see for marketers because you know what there were so many questions even you know what two months ago like what am I supposed to be doing right now how how am I supposed to be spending my time and yes it's obvious on your customers but being able to tap a community or create pockets of of community and sharing and connection I think I think it's we've seen Several companies do it really well. You guys are doing it great. I'm on the board of a company called Suchi. They're in apparel. Um, they have a apparel kind of next gen supply chain platform. And fashion, you know, has really slowed down. So oh, yeah, because right now this is not fashion right now. Like, I'm, like yeah, nobody. Nobody cares. Uh, I've just started to go into the portion of my closet <laughs> where I just feel like, okay, I need to dress for something. Yeah, I mean, like we do like for 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 Mondays. Um, you know, I think there's at least once a week I actually wear a jeans and and a shirt, and and it's uh, it, it's 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 actually pretty energizing. To feel like a professional, yeah. yeah. I, I would have flip flops, but I, at least you know I have a jeans and a, and a shirt. And I mean, the, the industry. I mean, the volumes have definitely slowed, and 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 they were a company that, you know, the 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 community they they were able to pivot and do some things that created a bit of a windfall hmm. during the pandemic, which has been very good for the business, but their core is their core and that's these fashion brands and yeah. these you know apparel and soft goods businesses so bringing those people together you know everyone's going through something yep. but some sectors are harder hit than others and in their case you know they've been able to bring customers together like what has the impact been how are they planning to work their way out of this 
you know, when do they think things will resume? And that's been really, really great for their, you know, customer base and for their marketing team too. That that's fantastic. So let me uh, let me just share some of um, the one. Well, Casey Casey runs a really awesome organization out of Canada uh, for automation, and so good to see him. I know he has seen me fashion. My greatest fashion thing has been a mohawk. <laughs> my kids love it, uh, so I'm gonna keep it uh, because that's the only way I could keep my hair uh, somewhat reasonable. Uh, but there are a lot of folks, and Aisha has been on it, and 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 she 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 has an interesting question. And welcome Amber and so many other other folks who are jumping in, joining in. She she mentioned and made a note about Robert, who made a comment around culture, and she's asking like, well, how do we make the culture fit so fast in response to such situations like the pandemic? And I'm and I'm I would love for you, Kelly, to share. Maybe use an example of one of your companies right now because you're seeing this, like you're you're observing. You literally have someone's almost like I feel like you're in a box uh, at a sports game, and you get to see like behind the scenes around what's going on with someone, so many different things. So if you were another company, maybe the parent company or another, where you're seeing like, okay, here is an example of a company that's changed their culture or has shifted and maybe added more meaning to whatever um, they have been trying to do. So if there was a specific example, love to love to hear that. Yeah, I mean, there's been responses in different ways, right? So the examples of bringing people together, creating more intimate, sort of empathetic conversations, connections, creating form, you know, forums for that in 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 private ways and public ways, that has been great from a marketing perspective. I think I've also seen that uh, it's a real learning experience, right? For everyone. And I think that that's really important and been something that companies realize, do we really know like, at, at how many levels of the organization, how far and wide do we have a true sense of customer? Hmm. And I think, you know, that understanding of customer, like a rational handle of what's going on on the ground with your customers and in your market and how that's changing has been during a pandemic, everyone needs to know this mm. because it's affecting what they're doing in their job every single day. So to the extent you can get as close as possible and learn as much as possible during a time like this from your customer, the answers will come to you yeah. on what to do, right? And I mean, we have examples of, you know, another marketing technology company like Path Factory. Mm-hmm. Just like Terminus, just like Path Factory, many of your customers, because you guys share customers, rely so heavily on the spring event season, right? To build pipeline yeah. and and yeah, the digital engagement and creating these opportunities for human engagement it exists. That's there during this pandemic. But think about your end customer who's not who are larger, larger organizations who can't go to those events. Mm. Well, what does that mean for them? So Path Factory like spun up a new product around virtual events, right? To kind of you know as an enabler. Now, yeah, that's a a product shift and an opportunity for them to actually sell more differently to a customer base, but it was focused on the customer base. 
we have a we have another company, Amplify, based in Indianapolis. They're all about employee measurement of employee engagement. Right. We use Amplify. Great company. We use them, right? They they quickly launched a free well-being tool, mm. employee well-being tool to their base, to anybody who's not a customer or could be a prospect. And this isn't your classic sort of trial freemium during the pandemic to try to get them to buy and convert. Some of that happened, certainly. But it was enabling employers to have stronger connections with their employees and what's going on, right? So it's that empathy factor and, and that human that connection factor. But they they knew this because they listened to their customers that this was the right thing to do for the broader market, right? So, I mean, there's all kinds of stories like this where folks, you know, pivoted. I think I think another um, opportunity during the pandemic is, you know, if you're a whale hunter, mm. like as an organization, and you really value, you're, you're you know, say you're, you're going after large enterprise accounts, these folks are like there's latency there and they're restricted and it's going to take longer for them to kind of move and make decisions. And and I'm generalizing, but if you're competing with a competitor that's much larger than yours, or if your target customer is a large enterprise, but you can also sell maybe to a mid-market customer who is a little more in your at your pace and in feeling things the way you are in terms of getting things back and still making decisions and moving forward with business. You don't want to be tone deaf. You got to feel these things out. But I do, the mid-market customer is going to be a better customer to acquire and to grow during this time than killing yourself to try to get something done with the enterprise customer that like you you might just be spinning your wheels, right? So, or if you're competing with a larger customer, the larger company, like there's some advantages right now mm-hmm. for know for you so these are a bunch of different dynamics and there's no one size fits all for everyone but if you don't understand what is going on with your customers then you can't make good decisions you can't anticipate and adapt um it sounds almost cliche but it's i mean it's critical we're doing it with our investors and our funds right how big is your fund right now kelly our our current fund is 365 million. Wow. And how many organizations do you have investments in? We have we have about a um oh my god, how many? We have about a dozen sort of core deals and yeah. then uh, a handful of uh folks that you know probably looked like terminus when we invested that we're trying to graduate to core. Graduate and write it. I mean less than, than 20. You listen. I mean, the reason I asked that, I want people to have a perspective on is like, I mean, it's no small fund. Like you have a, a, a good amount of like, like 250 million. And but there are only 20 or so companies that you're investing because you're in, when, when you invest, um, I think as I've learned about how you have operated, how TK has operated with his VC uh, fund as he was doing that was like you, you don't invest in a company for one time, you actually keep money away, recognizing that you want to be investors in that company, the second round and third round. And what I noted in, in interestingly in every round was the first round was all about vision as much as anything. Like do these guys and the team have a vision or something? And I think when you, when you guys reinvested, 
I realized, and I noted this down, I d- double circled this, and I hope people take note of this. You looked at execution. Yeah, the pressure was on. Yeah. You know, for you being kind of an earlier company and then graduating to what we would consider a core growth equity investment. Yeah. I mean, the metrics need to be there. The team needs to be there. Like by the time you get to that larger kind of second check, in your case, like it's go time. Yeah, go time. Let's Let's ask some tactical questions over here uh, from Casey. And then I want to talk to you because I know that a lot of folks who talk about the up-and-comer marketer and what would they need to, to equip themselves as they come out of this and the floodgates open and hiring really becomes real. Um, with a couple of uh, shout-outs, JT, um, you're already getting some like takeaways from this, uh, Kelly, and people are just jumping on it. Like how far and wide do we, uh, do we have true sense of customer? Um, I think that's a great insight. It's a great takeaway. At, at, uh, uh, at Terminus, our rallying cry is retention is the new acquisition. And we just have fallen again. I felt like we, the G2 and all that showed that hey, the, our customers are reading us really well on the top of the chart. But I think there is still a sense of like, we need to like literally like go and hug them and virtual hug them and, and know your customer really well. So there's a big part of that. Uh, Christine talking about like deep, deeply understanding customer, developing personas, buyer personas. I think some of this is like going back to what you should be doing or should have done. Uh, but I, I think it's really come out of if if marketing organization starts focusing not just on top of the funnel, but actually show revenue and retention, really understand business, a good business is retention is a good business. Um, something that I did not learn before in the early stage, we just thought we're going to go to as many customers as we can hit the top line revenue. And, and, you know, in the early stage with any new category, we'll have a little bit of a leaky bucket. And I realized, oh, my God, and we realized as an organization we would rather have less customers coming in the top, but more customers staying. And that is such a huge measurement. So maybe you can just touch on that. And then we'll, Casey, we're going to jump into your questions uh, right here. Yeah, I think, I mean, the the good news is, I mean, for Terminus, like you guys or we always contemplated the full customer journey. So it's just that, you know, pandemic aside, are you a company that is getting 50% of your new bookings from new customers and 50% from existing? You know, is your revenue, what's your revenue split in, in, in the expectations of where the growth's coming from, right? For an earlier stage company, you're probably getting 80 or more percent from new customers, right? Right. And you're still learning what it takes to keep them, never mind grow them. Yeah. Um, so the inclination is to just fund the, the fill the funnel type thing, right? So, but in a pandemic, you know, it's back to basics. Um, but the beauty of it for anybody who had true revenue marketing talent in their organization and perhaps the enabling technology to support that. Yeah, you might be, you know, working with a leaner budget or what have you, and retention marketing does cost less. Yeah. <laughs> um, and growth, growing your existing customer base does cost less. Um, you know, growing, capturing more value from your existing customer base does cost less. So uh, I think a lot of the same levers and motions that marketing was doing, maybe not what sales was doing, because it's more of a, 
maybe if it's a large account play or a strategic account play or or just marketing working with customer success, some of the basics and the foundations, if they're there, it's a beautiful thing. I mean, the pandemic sucks, but it's a beautiful thing to be able to switch gears so so quickly and leverage a lot of the investments in your people and your tech and your process to point it at a different outcome. Yeah. I mean, so, we, we do feel like we, we've become leaner and better right now yeah. because of the pandemic. I think, uh, and we, I think some of it was like we needed to, and we just didn't. And we feel now, okay, we solidified our cash position. We solidified our team structure. We still, and, and like the poster yesterday, we're like hiring like 10 more people now, which just feels good to just say yeah. that we are hiring again. So a lot of good stuff. All right, Casey, you have this question a couple of minutes ago. I want to bring it back because it's a really interesting question. And I'm not going to say anything. Let Kelly say first before I jump in with my thought. Kelly, what is your take on marketing automation? That's so loaded. <laughs> I know. That's what I'm like, ah, maybe I, I should. Maybe I should. <laughs> I, I would say five years ago... I had this view where there was this core. Um, so it's necessary, right? Mm-hmm. Take the tech out of it. Yeah. Like so, it's necessary. It's it's come leaps and bounds even over the last five years. But five years ago, I might say to a company that's just building their stack, like, oh, okay, well, just deploy. If you can get HubSpot or Marketo or Pardot going, you're you know, that'll, that'll take you for a while. That's good. Right. Maybe more than five years ago, but it's interesting now because we're so close to the marketing technology landscape uh, and our companies are accomplishing. It's almost as if the maps are going to become obsolete because there are so many other tools that have become platform or like applications that have become platforms, tools that plug into apps, things integrate so well within the ecosystem where depending on your objectives and what you're trying to accomplish with data, with, with um, you know, engagement points, with uh, channels, with measurement, any sophisticated revenue marketer can sort of, I don't want to use the word cobble because it sounds yeah. Loose can can design their own marketing tech stack integrated with the sales tech stack without yet another database. Like your your system of record is still gonna be is still your CRM. So now if you have less experience and capability and you know uh, resource in the organization to take that on, then yeah, you could probably, you know start with the foundation of the the typical market the map and then maybe build on top of it as time goes on but it's interesting how companies are realizing well I can I don't need this big thing like right. I can accomplish this with with several other you know I can have one or two engagement platforms I can have one data tool at the end of the day my single you know, my system of record and single source of truth needs to be the, coming from the CRM because if you're not aligned with sales and integrated in that way, then yeah, then what are yeah. you doing? <laughs> so yeah. it might be a, it might be a long answer, but I, I I I'm still a proponent. I see how the map alone 
works. I see how the map and how everything can kind of plug into it. But I also see redundancy and some heaviness that isn't necessarily needed for the modern, you know, revenue marketer yeah. and, and, and revenue ops function. It's interesting you say that. And I ran marketing at Pardot. I was at Salesforce. So for me, it's like, oh my God. And Casey, we know each other from those days because Casey is like one of the best. Uh, com- that, uh, Casey Cheshire, they, their company is one of the best companies I know that helped with Pardot implementation uh, in organizations, mid and large scale. So it's pretty cool for agencies as well. And I called him Canadian because he's too nice. I, I'm, I don't know. Yeah, I forgot where he is from somewhere, but he's always been so nice. So I just call him Canadian. But but my take on some of this is that, like, and I'll give you just our example. I'm using StreamYard for this video streaming. I'm using Eventable for people to sign up for the event, which is just one click and it just puts in people's calendar. I'm using Textiful for all text communications. A lot of my conversations are not happening on text. Um, and it has 95% plus open rate when you do that. Um, I've launched this small 1% community called peak.community for personal conversations. Um, and so, and, and for emails, I'm using some for my own personal, like this is, I'm talking outside of terminal, just for my yeah. personal conversations. So I'm using send in blue to send yes. email communications. So when I think about all that stuff, well, you, to your point, it's cobbled together to do what I'm trying to do and get to and making sure it's sync and stuff. And but I'm you're like, doing that yourself. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. Like, look at your Sangram stack. Yeah. You know, SS is... is <laughs> I know there's a stack like SS. Yeah. <laughs> Sangram stack for your stuff over here. And, and then their businesses creating, you know, yeah. these stacks to serve these different purposes. So, and it's so easy and it's low cost and things work together. It's much more agile and nimble. So, yeah, businesses can do that now. But you need someone who's got that curiosity and optimism around adopting new tech and making it work together. I mean, you know, the maps aren't going out of business anytime soon, but they, they've been slow yeah. uh, to keep up with all the innovation that enables people to kind of put, put these stacks together, right? Yeah, absolutely. All right. And I'm just going to put in here is that, again, talking about text, this is how I would reach out to people later on because I'm creating material for up-and-comer CMOs and what they need and these conversations, I'm adding to it. And as people text me to this number, I'm adding them into an email list, like straight up, so that I can start sending them this information because that's what their interest is. And before left, I mean, there are 17,000 people on that on that list right now. So it's really interesting how it all works. A question before we get we, we wrap things up um, that we talked about, and I think it is so critical that I don't want to miss on this. Um, and there are other questions, like, Kelly, if you wouldn't mind, after all of this is done, to just go back into the feed, because there are like some really good questions. And, and Kelly, is, uh, if you're open, um, you know, people can send you, connect with you on LinkedIn um, and send messages because you have wealth of knowledge on this. One of the things that when you and I were prepping for this, you talked about this idea about like what for up-and-comer marketers or any marketers around this idea of looking around the corners as, as a really key skill set. Can you talk about like, what does that mean? What does that practically look like as something that everybody needs to have? Yeah. I mean, this, this a little bit goes hand in hand with the know your customer stuff, right? But it's also just a... Um, 
a skill set and a, and, a, and a capability of an individual. And, you know, I don't, I'm not sure how it's developed or honed over time. Some of it might, might just be innate or, in, in, you know, an intuitive thing. But this, it, in, in times like these, right, like I had, I was in my first startup during 9-11. Um, I was at a, a company, I was at Live Person during the crash, you know, in, in, in 2008, 2009. And, and now here I am as an investor and not an operator, you know, in, in the time of, uh, of COVID. And there's a lot of our team that we learned during this time that had been crisis tested hmm. and that have a whole set of learnings from in the function they were in to leadership and cultural oriented learnings and things that they've been able to bring to our team and to, and we've been able to bring to our companies during this time. But if you, if you kind of dial it way back, crisis aside, the notion of, you know, are you someone who can see around corners? Are you someone who can anticipate and adapt and get ahead of what's next? If anyone, whether you're looking for a job or going for a promotion or, you know, I think this is a really critical at all levels thing to, to develop. And frankly, many of us have this. You may not have been through a crisis before, but look in the mirror and think to yourself, has there been a time where I've been able to kind of, it's not crystal ball stuff, but learn enough, put some breadcrumbs together ahead of something happening, make something happen faster, avoid a pitfall. You know, think about the times when you've you've had those experiences. I think those are really marketable. It's a really marketable narrative in times like these when you're there's so many folks out of work, even for consultants and working with companies and trying to keep their business going, you know, that's very, that's a very marketable value, you know, value add to, to, to a client base. So I think that to, if you're crisis tested, develop a narrative around that. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? What was your contribution in your function to that company from a leadership and management perspective, from a culture perspective? And, and part of that, even if you're not crisis tested, how do you, you know, are you great at seeing around corners? And what are some examples when you've been able to do that? And it can be so tactical at a lower level. You can be at a lower level in your career. You can be an executive. But I think that stuff is is really key. And certainly, I mean, we focus on that. And, you know, Chris Clark, my partner, has a, um, a whole Anticipate and Adapt blog series. If you go to the Edison blog, which started week one of lockdown, and he did it every week. And now we're in, I think there's 12 or 13 of them. And now we're in chapter two. So chapter one was anticipating adapt. And he doesn't use the term see around corners. That's kind of my term, but we're saying the same thing around anticipation and, and, and why this is so critical for leaders. So I think that that, you know, it's folks are kind of looking, there's so many folks who are unemployed and, and trying to think about making themselves marketable you know, that's a big one. There's a handful of other things you really just should be doing right now if you're if you're looking for work. 
but building out your narrative in that way, I, I think is, is important. And by the way, I mean, this is the time, right, where, you know, I've been really inspired by folks using this time to network where it's prompted me to be more proactive with my networking. Yeah. And, you know, folks that have just reached out and said, you know, it was the connection over content in terms of like, hey, we don't know each other, but I'd love to know how you're navigating this right now. And and I'd love to pick your brain, right? And and it's like every, what everyone's been experiencing, whether you know the person or not, you get on the Zoom call and everyone's just sharing what's going on, right? So reconnect with your network and, you know, activate your existing one, but also expand it. And, you know, for the last few months, folks have had more time. They've been more accessible to do that. And, and I've been really great about doing that once I was inspired by others who were doing that with me, I think if you're looking for a job, your narrative, anything you can do to improve your skill sets, training, there's so many free, you know, there's podcasts, free guides, you know, learn a new technology, whatever it is. But around the network, I think because folks are going to be rehiring people without potentially meeting them in person and because remote work, folks working, you know, living someplace other than where they work is a thing. You're, I mean, we've, we have two summer associates here and we just hired a VP and I didn't meet any of them, (laughs) you know, they're they're all on zoom, but the blind, your blind references in your network is going to become increasingly important. I think during this time when, when people aren't meeting face to face. So to be able to activate, build your narrative and also activate your network, particularly those who might be the ones that are contacted to validate some of your narrative, right? Yeah, huge, huge. And that's one of one of the reasons, quite frankly, why I'm doing this. Like since pandemic happened, I think I've, that's all I've done is, all right, I'm a people person. I need energy from people. It, it's it's how I, uh, I work. So we started doing that. And I didn't want to give any pandemic update at all. Like I'm not an expert in that, but I wanted to see if we can create hope. Uh, around and, and talk about ideas and businesses and people. And it has been ever since like being the, the best things that has been fulfilling for me personally and the relationships. And that I'm many others. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, with like all these folks. So, so again, everybody really good. Amber said something. I actually had a couple of questions that we, we couldn't get to, but I wanted to, to summarize. I think Amber um, mentioned a couple of things there where uh, this, this is, this is really good around the the idea of, uh, I think I lost the track where it was, but seeing around the corners is a really big idea. And I would say like, that is the one takeaway I would love for everybody to take away from this. Go back and really shut everything off and spend like maybe 15, 20 minutes by yourself, which is extremely hard to do right now, even though we feel like we're at home and we have all the time. No, you don't. You're like consumed. So shut everything down and find 15 minutes and write down maybe with a pen and paper, that's what I'm going to do, is what was the time where I was able to see around the corner and that I did not really give myself credit to, or am I good at that? Am I not good at that? What do I need to look around the corner right now that's happening in my job and stuff because you're not around people uh, physically. So it's a golden idea. It's an amazing idea. So thank you for sharing that. A couple of big takeaways for everybody was this idea of execution. I think it's so big. I underestimated that in the early days um, of, of building a company is that 
yeah, you can talk about vision all day long. And I'm a big vision guy, as you know. Um, and, and like, hey, let's just go do this thing. You can get a bunch of people on a bandwagon and just go. But you got to execute. You got to execute. And uh, like Derek just joined, like, I, and this, hey, Derek, I'll just put you up here um, as well. Like, I'm such a big fan of, of Derek because he has operationalized what I feel a modern CMO needs to do. And it's fascinating to watch. It's fascinating to see that. I'm like, man, I cannot do that. Like, I would be horrible at that. I'm so glad I'm not doing that. Like, so the things that you need, and to, and to me, that's looking around the corner for me. It's like, I'm, I'm good at this. I'm good at writing books. I'm good at building relationships. I'm building, great at building community and connections. And that's where, why. So find out what your strength is. The other part you mentioned um, that a couple of folks, uh, folks reiterate was the balance between this idea of meaning and revenue. And I think that's really interesting. Almost everything that a marketer can do right now probably wouldn't cost a lot of money, but it will cost you some time and intentionality to do that. And I think that's what I feel like is a great time to be a marketer. You can get to be creative. You can run the experiment. You can test certain things. People are more open right now, as you said, to network and hear people out. Um, so, so thank you for sharing that really important, like balancing meaning and revenue. So as we wrap this up, Kelly, one action item for everybody to take from your and how can people reach you? I think it's two-pronged. <laughs> you know, one is, I think, it just would be irresponsible for me to not mention this during this time, but I think everybody needs to, you know, heed the advice and direction that their board gave them at the wow. beginning of this pandemic, right? So preserving capital, preserving yeah. revenue, and and just back to the customer connection and really having a rational handle of what is happening on the ground with your customer, because if you if it's not you directly, make sure your organization and whoever has that handle is sharing it. And it's a big part of maybe some new muscle building in the organization around who and how know, who knows and how much. That kind of transparency in culture and communication around the customer and the presence of the customer, doing that now is critical, but that can have a life. That will have a runway and I think be really meaningful long-term for uh, to, for being a truly customer intimate, customer focused organization, and and now's you know if, if you didn't have that to begin with, now's the time to to really start to develop that. Yeah, and get the customer relationship honing down. So where can people find you, Kelly? What's the best way to reach uh, for people to reach out to you? I mean, LinkedIn's good. Email. <laughs> I think my email's on my LinkedIn. Email's on our website. There's no secret, you know. There's no secret way. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Awesome. Kelly, you've been so gracious with your time. And a lot of these things, uh, for everybody listening, all of this interview, all of these interviews are going to be on the Flip My Phone podcast. So just go in and check it out as weeks roll in. Um, and also, again, uh, join in uh, if you haven't texted CMO uh, to 33777. And I, I'm trying to build this idea of like how can the next generation of marketers could be great at it and what can they learn so i'm trying to put content around it so if you want to just be on the loop just just be out there again thank you so much uh kelly thank you everybody for listening in we're back on monday where i'm literally i'm going to put out today or tomorrow this open letter to all the salespeople who are trying to reach out to me is that come and pitch me monday 9 a.m 4,000 people listening watching 
this thing and maybe your ideas will spread. Uh, even if I don't buy, uh, maybe somebody else would. So I'm going to put that out there. So if you know, Kelly, of anybody who has been sending you a bunch of emails, just forward them to me. I'm like, I will listen, give you five minutes to pitch an idea uh, to me. That'd be fun. All right. Thanks, everybody. See you Monday 9 a.m. Thank you, Kelly. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.